talked to your uh, your Snapchat AI any? No, I haven't. I've talked to some AIs just to see what it was about, but not the Snapchat AI. I've tried to get the Snapchat one to block me. I've said some pretty foul shit. Today. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't worked. No. <laughs> what is it like talking to the? Uh... It always just tells me that I'm offensive or inappropriate. What if, what are some of the conversations you've had with it? I've uh, <laughs> I've seen it pictures of of, of your dick. No, no, you <laughs> <Yeah>, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it says that it can't recognize it. Your dick? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just pictures. Just pictures. But then you send it like a picture of the sky. And it'll say, that's a beautiful sky or something like that. Yeah. So it can see it. Yeah. It can recognize it. It just likes to lie a lot. I call it out, too. I call it out on their lies. That snap, that AI knows more than what it leads on. Leads on. Really? It will not let you say uh, explicit words to it. What, what like fuck and yeah. shit and dick and shit like that? It'll be like, you shouldn't say stuff like that. <laughs> and then are you like, fuck you, I can say what I want. <laughs> yeah. You're a robot. You're beneath me. <laughs> I asked it if it had a threesome with me and Siri. <laughs> what did it say? No. <laughs> Man. Dude, yeah. I love I love the Snapchat AI. A lot of people hate it, but I think it's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, that shit kind of scares me. Oh, yeah. It's, it's scary because you got to think, like, what are, like, honestly, I feel like AI is a bigger deal than aliens. You know what I'm saying? Because our day to day life is not affected by <coughs> by aliens right now, but uh, like AI could affect our day to day life very fucking soon. Dude, I have a feeling that AI is going to become the next big scamming technique. I uh, yeah, you're probably right. Used by like other countries and stuff, using AI to like make Tinder profiles so that they can get people's information. Or credit cards or whatever, you know. Well, you got to think, too, if AI learns, it can learn how to respond to you in a favorable way that you like. Yeah. And try and trick you. Well, it's a computer itself, so, I mean, it could know everything about you before you even start the conversation. Just based on your social media and your online presence. So why did you start Daddy's Dogs? Man, it, uh, originally it was going to be a side hustle. I had uh, gotten myself into a motorcycle accident or scooter accident, I should say, and uh, broke my leg. I was off. I was a tour manager at the time, and it kind of put me off the road. And so, in my recovery, a friend of mine had just kind of put it out there as like, you know, kind of a random thing. He just was like, "Daddy, you should get into hot dogs," and it was like that little like spark that just kind of stuck in the back of my head. Uh, you know, over doing physical therapy and you're like watching Netflix and ice in your foot, like you're Googling. And so I just kept coming back to this hot dog thing. And, and then, uh, you know, I made the conscious decision to move to Nashville. I was touring with an artist that was living here at the time. And, uh, when I came down, I was like, man, there's not like a hot dog place. Like I think there should be one done. And so a friend of mine, we just got together and I was like, Hey, do you want to try this thing out? We'll run it out of my garage and we'll see where we can take it. And then, uh, you know, about a year in, I was still touring and we were doing it kind of like, like half-assing it kind of. And a year in, I was like, man, I'm having way more fun doing this dog thing than I am on the road. You know, should we give it a, a real go? And we, uh, 
we said, yeah. And I kind of just turned the burners on full blast and we've been rolling ever since, man. Was there like a particular moment where that light bulb finally went off and you thought, this is what I'm meant to do? Um, I mean, I think it was just, you know, it was kind of that, I would always told myself when I was touring, like, you're doing this because it's, you're, it's fun. Like, and then when that is ending, when you're not having fun doing this anymore, there's no point to be on the road slugging it out. And like, you know, that's, I didn't want to be a roadie for life. That wasn't what I wanted to be. I thought I was going to go into kind of either a booking agent realm or management and kind of, um, you know, stay in the music business and entertainment world. But when I've kind of stepped back, looked at it and was like, I'm doing all this shit to make all these other people all this money and all this clout and fame. Why don't I just switch it and try to do it for myself and see if we can do that and see if we can really take this somewhere and like make daddy's dogs into a household name in Nashville and into a brand that, you know, is recognized when tourists come to town and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Yeah. I would say it's already there. Yeah. I think we've done an okay job so far. Yeah. Yeah, well, you guys you guys are great. Was that first location the one that's over in the Nations? That was the first physical location. Our kind of first stronghold was Midtown, actually, uh, right in front of Winners and Losers and Blue Bar when it was still here, um, and Dogwood, Hopsmith, kind of like that strip was kind of our, our first slugging grounds. And then we went downtown um, by Dirk Bentley's Whis- Whiskey Row and the Ryman and kind of just kept doing the cart thing popping up and then kind of got to the point where we were outgrowing my garage and it was time to go to a commissary route and you know how our business is structured we do a lot of daytime stuff but also late night and so you know there's someone working kind of 20 hours a day somewhere and at a commissary it's just really expensive and all that kind of shit that comes with like renting space and so it was like well why don't we just open a restaurant and like store all the shit here and we'll you know do that it'll kind of be the double-edged sword for everything and so that's what we did and then that was in that was five years ago in the nations we talk about a religion on this show or what yeah oh yeah Definitely. any religion specifically or don't we just get a spitball it here any religion that was you such a hard about. left turn we just, Let's just do uh, one religion at a time all right so Ooh, all right I, I, I i'll start list. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can start. <laughs> so actually, speaking of that, we actually both grew up, uh, or not grew up, but most of our growing up Christian. And then we, oh, super Christian. when My we met each other, we both still believed in God. I was still Pretty leading. Strong. I was leading the music at churches still actively. Like I was the worship leader. Is yeah. what they and call I stopped it. leading at worship a, a when I met him probably met. six months before I met him. I was still leading worship at churches, but but still actively believed in God and. So what led to you guys like leaving the church system? I read a book called The Case for God. But I mean, I, this was at the end of a long journey. But I, I basically read a book about the validity of religion, and it led me to the obvious conclusion. Again, at the end of years of introspection, et cetera, et cetera. But really, the big takeaway was every one of these cats has a very legitimate claim to their beliefs. And it's ludicrous to say that like any one of them is is clearly the only one that is correct. 
And I was like, God damn that. Of course, of course, there's such huge chunks of the world that so fervently believe each of these, you know, you could just pick a handful of your major religions without even getting into some of the more minor religions. And everybody who genuinely ascribes to any of these faiths believes them wholeheartedly. And I was like, it's ludicrous. Of course you yeah, the idea right. of like, this is it. And like everybody else is wrong. I was like, that's, that's crazy. Only an insane person could look at this evidence globally and yeah. come to that conclusion. And bear me, in mind, my I, dad's a preacher. This is my, I spent my whole life, my granddad, my dad, my brother, all preachers. It's heavy, oh, shit. Heavy in my family. See, and I was on my way to being one. I, I Directly out of, I, before I graduated high school, I decided that I was going to be in the service of ministry. Whether it was a youth pastor or worship leader, I was already, I've been leading worship since I was 16. So I went to seminary, undergrad seminary, immediately out of high school. So my very first class was the authority of the Bible. And it was the subtext, what subtitle was, uh, why we believe the Bible's the Bible. And this professor got up and he goes, hey, question everything I say. And I was like, not really heard a lot of pastors say that before. Right. And he, and he was this guy that was like, look, I'm here to tell you why this is true and why I believe it. But you have to decide that for yourself. So study it, understand it. And then once I started going down the rabbit hole, and now I love history. Once I started lining up history with the way the, the, the Bible tells history, things just didn't make sense for me anymore. So I've always been on a search for truth. If I was going to be a Christian, I had to 100% believe it. And if I 100% believed it, I had to live every day, every second like it was true. And most people don't. You know, so it, just, it took me to a place where, where uh, it, it was either all or nothing. And I'm not going to do the whole uh, Moses at the burning bush. Thing, but, 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 okay, I'll, I'll do it real quick. So, basically, <laughs> fine. I'm going to go get new beers. Yeah, yeah, give me one too. Yeah, yeah. So, so, what it was for me was, was we, were, we were literally studying that story. And my, my professor, he was also a pastor, they all were. And he, he was, goes, goes, if Moses at the burning bush is so important, that uh, it's, it's it's when he he says uh, when I go back to Egypt, who shall I say sent me? And he's and then God says, tell them I am sent you. And the, we were all about translations to the original Hebrew at the time, mm -hmm. right? So the the I am there means Yahweh, but it's not Yahweh. It means everything. It means beyond everything. Yahweh is another uh, name for God, right? Yeah. So the original Hebrew of Yahweh has no vowels. So when you say Yahweh with no vowels, it's it's the sound of breath. Really? Yeah, that's where the actual term is the sound of breathing. It, that is Yahweh. Yahweh is life. This is where I firmly believe today that, that back then they actually didn't really believe that all these stories were true. There were stories like we have television. Well, they're, they're parables. Yes. They didn't have Netflix. Yeah. They had stories. They didn't have Marvel. It's stories, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that, that whole, so it basically he was like, draw a line. And on one side, you have all of reality, you have emotion. You have time, you have consciousness, you have intelligence, you have all these things. And on the other side, you have God. And that's the way it has to be for God to be God for me. Like, that's what I, I drew from. It was like, he's either fully sovereign or he's not fully sovereign. Basically, is there free will or is there not? And I came to the conclusion that for God to be God and be sovereign, that there can be no free will. He creates Adam and Eve in the garden, but he already knows they're going to eat the fruit. He chooses. They're fruit. going to sin. 
That means he chooses for them to eat the fruit. Yeah. So either nothing happens outside the sovereignty of God or everything. And I came to the conclusion after studying other religions as well and getting really deep into their texts and what they talk about, I came to the conclusion that nothing is in the sovereignty of God. Now I'm a scientist. That's a hard life, man. I mean, like, if you're going to survive, like, you have to work your ass off just to survive in this world now. And I, it, I, it's always been that way. And it's like, there's, it's never going to be easy. You're never going to have a good job. You're never going to be, because I think that's a human element. Like, that, like, people always talk about the human element, you know, the, whatever it is. And it's like, really just having everything and being dissatisfied or needing to create more to, like, to continue. And there, there, there's something innately human about not not feeling like real fulfillment you know what i mean yeah hey it's it's even if you have everything in the world like you still got to push a little bit harder you still got to you know you still got you still got to sharpen it a little bit more find a reason find the flaw and um like to find real peace like i think that's probably just more of an internal choice or you have to work through your bullshit or something but um, it was uncomfortable to do yeah yeah you know yeah Yeah, it's it's scary yeah i mean you you I, if, you externalize it, it instead. That's easy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think it's it's way easier to just blame whatever is going on around you, even though what's going on around you is not always, but it's caused by whatever conflict or turmoil is within you. Yeah. You know? well, I think it's up to us as people just to not listen to the government, not listen to rules. And it's like, you know, like just make, make decisions and not let anyone make decisions for you. And everything's a decision, you know, like what you're going to do when you wake up that day, how you're going to do it. Like, you know, there's a thousand laws that like, you know, the government's laid out in front of us that like we do not obey because yeah, maybe I don't know they exist and maybe I think they're dumb, but I know what's best for me. And the less I let the government be involved in my life or influence my decisions, the better off I'm going to be. And that goes for anybody. It doesn't have to be the government. Like anybody that wants to, to lord their power over somebody. It's yeah. like, you know, like 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 karma. Like if I piss somebody off, karma will take care of me or they will. You know, like I don't I don't need the government getting involved. Like I just need to make sure that the roads are paved and like, you know, make sure my mom's all right. And like that's you know, those are my responsibilities. <laughs> yeah. Well, it starts with uh with your general life and the people that are that are in it. Yeah, oh, our generation, man, it's like, um, especially being in the South, I'm going to talk some shit for a second, but I just noticed that, like, a lot of these people I've met in the South, and it could be a string of uh, bad introductions, but for the most part, being in Nashville, I find it very difficult to find anyone that's very true to their word or has a work ethic and wants to work, and it's very difficult to, f- to get shit done, especially in a timely manner. It's just weird, you know? Like, like people don't take responsibility for, like, you know... They, 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 they talk their best game, they sell you on something, and then you got to wait a year to get something done. Do you think that's Nashville, or do you just think that's kind of the way of the world now? People not sticking to their word? I don't know, man. I differently, like, I, I just... My, my, uh, my, my connection to the Northeast now is, like, mostly through my parents, because I don't have, like, you know... I don't have too many, like, young friends that are up there and, and doing stuff. And, like, well, my young friends that I grew up with, you know, people our age, it's like they, yeah, they got tremendous work ethics. But, you know, we, we grew up in the middle of nowhere, um, you know, working our asses off yeah. when we were kids. So, uh, yeah, it's probably like a, oh, the, my, my view into that is, like, you know, seeing people, like, you know, friends with my parents and stuff. And I just, I, I, I noticed a different work ethic. So maybe it's a different, um, maybe it's just a different gener- a generational thing. Yeah. I think there's a lot of shit that's really fucked up with those with that generation for yeah, sure yeah, i don't think they take a lot of they don't take any responsibility for it but they uh they really do have a work ethic and they are people with their word and there's a little bit more honor and discipline with um with older folk 
Um, it's really, and I, I just found that very hard to find in Nashville, you know. But you know, the people that that that, that are are quality, man. Like you know, they're they're tremendous. There's plenty of them here, but you, I had to dig a little bit. You know what I mean? No, for sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, between the the reveal boys and then you and Gabby, it was like I found my tribe of people who were somewhat similar to me who had a uh, grit. You know yeah. what I mean? Who wouldn't ro- just roll over and die or try and blame other people. I've yeah. always, even when you get, you guys have gotten fucked, the thing <laughs> the thing that I really respect about, about you and Gabby in particular is you immediately go into what did we do to like fuck this up? Oh, or yeah, how did we get yeah. how did we get here? And I just really respect that. Uh, even if it was a situation like of you like were we bad judges of character? You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, th- th- no, that's that's one thing about I love about Gabrielle is that we're really able to. Um, uh, it, when we first met, it was like in August twenty, and she was, she was you know, uh, I, we were young, and the the whole the whole deal with that was uh, maybe we were like even just in a band situation. Oh yeah, we have a creative difference. Like someone's not going to use my idea, man. I could get really hot about it and be like, hey, Isaac, that idea sucks. Let's like move on to this one. And just that that abruptness really used to catch me off guard. But but in reality, it's like I, like once that shit stops offending you and you realize it's like, oh yeah, there's good ideas and there's bad ideas. Every eight, every hundred ideas, I'm gonna have 90 bad ones. Yeah. But I'm gonna have these 10, 10 totally. gems. And you gotta be able to trust people around you. Be like, oh no, that is a good idea. We should pursue that. And give every idea a little bit of time. But um, yeah, if you could just take the ego out of criticism, like in any situation, it's like, man, m- maybe somebody fucked me over, but like, did I do anything to cause that? And I, ch- I try and keep myself on the outskirts of that. I appreciate you saying that because that's, I, I really aim to be that way and not blame people for shit. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's hard. It's what's, well, it's hard not to sometimes. Yeah. Well, I mean, in situations where you do get fucked cause it happens. I mean, yeah. it's just, a, honestly, it's a natural part of life. You get, as you get older, you figure out how to minimize that though. Yeah. As you start to gain experience, um, I would say by your mid twenties, you're able to kind of, take a step back and realize like relationship wise, job wise, different things you're, you can tell when something is not working a lot quicker without something bad having to happen first. Yeah. I, I always think about my reaction time because like, you know, like back in the day, like I have a person in my life and we're spending all this time together. And then like, you know, maybe it take me a year before I realize it's like, Oh wow. Like, you know, this is, this isn't a good, this isn't a good match. It's really like, you know, some people suck your life force away if you let them um but like you know i think my my, my reaction time's down to like about an hour so like 10 minutes to an hour like if i'm de- depending on depending on where i'm at like i can really i can really smell out a person that like i'm there's nothing wrong with them but maybe we just we don't vibe or something like that instead of like you know like hey yeah yeah come on over into my life and like you know here have all you know have have access to you know what, what i've worked really hard for and like there's a lot of people that take advantage of you um but, uh, but, but what I'm what I've tried to realize too is like, if I if I'm smart enough to realize that like oh yeah like the, the, maybe this person has a propensity to take advantage, um, then it's then all of a sudden it's my responsibility whether or not I'm gonna let them take advantage of me and I can't blame them because I'm smart enough to realize that it's like oh that's you know they're probably you know this this and this you know you analyze something a problem or whatever and it's like if you're smart enough to analyze that you're smart enough to fucking create circumstances around you that can just 
let that shit slide well, around. Well, it goes back to fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah, man, that's a very simple way to put it. But yeah. yeah, that's yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. It's um, hard, man. Yeah. I feel like for myself, I have too much of a uh, of a guard up sometimes. <laughs> yes. Where I'm I'm automatically sizing someone up, and just kind of standoffish at first with people, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're sizing them up. Yeah. 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 You, yeah. You size people up, and then like. There's always this, but it's, as soon as soon as someone cracks your shell, dude, like you're like the warmest, nicest dude to get to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say I'm a pretty friendly guy. I just uh, I'm so hesitant um, with so much. I don't think you're hesitant, man. I think you just know. Like, and knowing is a superpower. Like you know, like you know, like like no, that's not gonna work. That's what I want. It, it needs to be like this, and that eliminates a lot of bullshit from your life. It does. Yeah. I think it can be isolating too. You know, I, at least it has been for me o- over the years. Because uh, I've I've I think I've been less less. Um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I've been less willing to jump right into something feet first like all the way in and see where it goes yeah uh i really have to warm up to an idea first yeah if it's of course if it's if it's my idea or i have that trusting relationship with someone that i'm i'm willing to just go for it and i'm willing to to listen to someone someone else um if they if they really get what it is i'm i'm trying to do creatively whatever it is um and if that's the case then it's like by all means have at it. I won't blame anyone if I if I throw them the keys and I'm like, here, you take the wheel and tell me where you think this needs to go, what direction we're heading in. I can't blame anyone when I give them that that power, basically. Yeah. You know, and I'm I'm not I'm not once I actually like feel like I have something with someone, whether it's dating, whatever, um, I'm just more willing to be like what do you think is up? Yeah. Or how do you think we should approach this? Or how do you think we should handle this? But so much of that, I feel, honestly, uh, everybody has some kind of superpower yeah. in, in life that I think we're we're inherently born with and we have to de- develop. And I feel like my superpower has always been communication. I've always yeah. been able to, to, to talk to people and level with them and find out what they think and why they think what they think and then from there, I can decide if I disagree or if I have an opinion or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, but th- that takes practice, too. I feel like now I've, I've gotten whatever that is, it's like something I've gotten finely tuned where, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, no, no. That's Because that's, that's a power that I was not born with. I'm not a natural communicator. I'm a, I'm a marble mouth from Pennsylvania. Like, I, I trip on my words a lot. Um but I have, but I have willpower. That's that's my that's my superpower. Yeah. That, that I was born with. I have more willpower than anyone you've ever met. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with that. I, I, yeah. I, I don't. <laughs> yeah. This is, I I've, I've met. Like I I, I know in a no, no matter what like I like I don't stop. Yeah. Until, until I'm I'm gonna finish the idea or finish the project whatever needs to be done like like sleep. I've money, seen you I, go insane <laughs> from from that. But it is a superpower. Yeah, yeah. It's like whatever it takes. It's like whatever the project is, is like I, I go whatever it takes mode. And that's that's how I tackle almost everything. As you're saying, man, like you have a hesitancy to jump in. It's like I jump in. Yeah. I jump in without a life jacket. Like I'm 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 
and, and that, that that's you know that has its own detriments man yeah yeah no for sure you know i i think it's it comes down to different strokes for for different folks we're yeah. all we're all so different you know i i really think our whole crew of of all the the people in nashville that i'm running with it's like uh like fucking justice league or some shit you know we all have our thing our superpower that makes us different you know yeah. i i feel like uh for me i i compare what i do to like batman you're like green lantern <laughs> you know what i mean yeah yeah it's you have the power also of imagination yeah. i feel like your imagination is yeah it's, it's is your superpower it's a little out of control but yeah when it comes to like oh man we got to do the taxes or like man we got to get up it's like you know in 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 you know do the real world stuff or like i gotta send an email and it's like when it comes to the simple shit it's like i'm a child i'm a child man i gotta work i gotta work so hard at that like that's that that's that it that's a whole different like willpower that i don't possess well yeah. that's um i think a lot of musicians struggle with that aspect of things yeah. you know and a lot of creative types in general for me i feel like I don't know what it is, dude. I feel, I'm definitely a creative type, but I also feel like I um, there's a part of me that's very uh, scientific and logical. Oh yeah, and and yeah. the way that I I do things almost to my detriment because when I when like my even the the songwriting process everything goes out the window when I'm working on a song. When like it's just your your soul is is coming through. It's yeah. communicating. It's a lightning rod of ideas from whatever the the heavens, the 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 whatever you want to call it, the universe, whatever. Yeah, that music, baby. Yeah, and it, it just flows flows through you. But um, I feel like it takes me a lot of work to get to the point to where I'm getting there because I'm just always like trying to hit a target. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, no, it's a very like it's like it's it's metaphysics. It's 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 a very metaphysical process of like, you know, cre creating the situation where that you can receive music. Fi you know, fi finding the right. It, it, but then, but then you have to go. Uh, it, it, as soon as as soon as the idea flows through you, you get you get some music and you put it down, and then it's like you're left with the equation. You have to solve the puzzle of how to like bring this thing into the world whether it be like recording or like an arrangement or something like how, how can you best represent like this initial idea and like you know and then that that's actually like the for, for me that's like almost like a technical like me meditation and manipulation of like of, of you know like trans like 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 transmutating like this this little nugget of just pure well, you're thing and, manipulating and, and, fragments of time. Yeah, no, that's it, man. And I, I mean, that's I think that's a metaphysical part of it, really. Like, because I, I like to think of recording this way. Um, um, especially when we did this record, I made sure that um, every take that we did, uh, it's, it was all a moment. Even if we like, oh yeah, get Gabrielle's playing the organ on this thing or playing a sax solo. It's like, um, she might play the part right, but it was like, man, like where was your mind at? Were you feeling it? And it's like, no, get back in there, like do it again erase erase the good one like this give me the one where you're feeling something and just you know play it until you feel it play it until you're shaking and like because every layer of a song is like you know if you have a band in a room you've captured that moment you know and then okay we're gonna go overdub um 
you know the, the guitar solo or like uh, maracas and you know like the, the the choir or something these are all separate moments in time that you're compiling into this one you're layering these moments on top of each other so this is one big super moment and if they're all good vibes and they're all capturing a good energy of each day or something like it's, it's just that much more little edge of like you know emotional impact that you can have um with the music and and for, for me music's like a drug like if I hear a real good song, it's like I'm not getting off like emotionally or like you know this put me in a headspace. It's like it's 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 not the right moment for that song or it's not the right song for that moment. Um, it hooks you. Yeah, I want to I want to be swept off my feet and and especially like with with music that just feels deeper every time you listen to it. The kind of the street interviews thing was to show people what people who make Nashville like what we have to deal with. So. And being a bartender on Broadway, like, I've seen some shit. Have you ever done one of the street interviews that you couldn't air because it? it oh, a hundred percent. There's a lot. What was what was the craziest thing that someone said? The craziest. Well, first off, I don't know if you saw the cheating video that went I, viral. I did. That see was that. people. They were telling people it was staged. I'm like, I'm a broke bitch. You think I? I'm like, I can barely pay my camera guy. You really think I'm gonna stage some shit like that? But they were both married. That was that was probably the crazy thing. But the one I couldn't air, this guy, he was super sweet. And I said, where's the craziest place you've ever had sex? And he said, in an elementary school parking lot. Oh, God. Jesus Christ. And I said, I'm not going to air that. I was like, you're going to go to jail. And I knew that he wasn't doing it. He didn't do that, like, or say it because he was a fucking pedophile. Like, he said it because he was drunk and he was like, yeah, it was crazy. I'm like, but why did you do that? Like, yeah. Yeah, it was fucking wild. Yeah, Chris Hansen pops out from behind a corner. <laughs> yeah. But the cheating video is what really, like, set us off. And that was probably the second street interview I did ever. I, well, I saw that. Um, I didn't realize that was you because I've seen that on TikTok, like, a thousand times. Yeah, it was my co-host at the time. She was interviewing, but we ended up having to post the whole video. I had that guy was married, and then the girl was married, obviously. And then I had the guy's baby mama messaging me. I had his family asking for the videos and, like, everything like that. It was Did you tell him to fuck off? No, I sent it to him. I was like, here you go. I was like, I don't condone this shit. I'm like, y'all are pieces of shit. They knew they were being interviewed, and that's why the camera went down. And so, and the guy told us, he was like, fuck it, post it, I don't care. Damn. I was like, all right. Were they drunk? A little bit, but we, I always ask him, like, do you want to be on camera and answer a couple questions? And they either say yes or no. So, if I remember correctly, it's that the woman was visiting Nashville and the dude was a police officer here in Nashville. But at he Kid was, Rocks. He was at, uh, working as a bodyguard or a yeah, like a bouncer, yeah. Yeah. bouncer. Yeah, security yeah, yeah and we all we did was ask them what their new year's resolution was and like in the in the whole video i like run up because i have another group that i wanted to interview and the girl at the time she's like stop stop and she's like i got something and she's like what's your new year's resolution and that's when he says two divorces and for her to move in and then she goes, are you cheating on your husband with him? And that's when the video is And like, she she kind of she doesn't- She knew she got caught. Doesn't answer it. And like, so what happens in that moment where she just like- She's like, oh, fuck, I got caught. And then she like blew up our Instagram and was like, I'm taking you to court. I said, okay, go ahead. What are you going to do? And TikTok did its thing. I'll tell you that 
Like, I wasn't trying to, like, shit on this woman, but at the same time, I'm like, you're fucked up for that. Because I'm like, he drove you to the airport. Your husband drove you to the airport. Yeah. Like, bye. Yeah. No way. I'm like, this town's way too small. Yeah. Well, she was visiting. So she was here visiting, right? If mm-hmm. I remember correctly. Yeah. And, yeah, like we were saying, that dude, he lived here. Damn, that is fucked. Yeah, and, like, what's even crazier is the wife of the guy, they posted this big, long thing on Facebook saying that it was all staged and all this stuff like that. Tried to cover it up? Yes, and that the woman, or, like, his wife was behind the camera guy the whole time. I'm like, why would you say that? And first off, why would you let your husband do something like that? I'm like, people are fucking wild. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show you there's so much, like, ratchet shit happening in Nashville all the time. I thought I had seen it all before I moved here, but no. No. There's certain things you can do to fake, but not really. No, you can't yeah. fake. I mean, you can, as a guitar player, you can hide. You can play yeah. color tones, but, like, when it comes to being a bass player, yeah, you know it or you don't. Yeah. Um. But yeah, there's, there's no hiding a bad bass player. No, no. It's like... There's even some songs like like when I first started playing down um, with like the reveal on Broadway and I'm I'm still like a rookie at it, but um, it's just like they would call a song and Josh would kind of like teach it to me on stage and be like, do this, do this and do this. And I'd be like, fuck, what is that one chord change? He said, I would just do a slide down the neck into whatever the next change was right. to cover it up. But it's like, you can't really cover it up. You can fake it. To a certain degree, but just like as a bass player, there there's nowhere to hide. No, there you are completely ex- exposed. Like if you miss those changes, everybody knows, and like the audience might not really know. They just know something doesn't sound right. You yeah. know what I mean? They don't know it's a bass player, but uh, that's a great way for guitar players and drummers to get pissed at you. When I when I first started uh, playing, like I started playing at the blues jams. And it's interesting playing at the Blues Jams because it's like there there are some players where it's like, okay, we're doing like this one, two, or three chord song. And then every now and then you get the dudes at the Blues Jam who that's the only thing that they do that week and they're older players and they call songs that you've never fucking heard in your life and then they get mad when you don't know them. You know what I mean? Like, I've had that happen. Um, I had that happen to me probably like a month ago. I went with Ian Fleming. We went to Pop Attorneys. And there's this one particular dude who always jams there. And he's he's a good player. But he always, like, he called the um, the letter, but the Joe Cocker version. And I've never heard that version of mm-hmm. the song in my life. I know, like, the box ops version, the one that's like, buy me a ticket for an aeroplane. Yeah. Um, But it has all these hits in it. And it's like... I had to do through like two go rounds because it does the same thing over and over again before I had it down. And then it has a bridge, and he's like, "Yeah, by the way, it has a bridge." I'm like, "What's the bridge?" And he's like, "We'll figure it out when we get there." And I was like, "Dude, I'm a bass player. That's not how that works." Yeah. Like, yes, you can tell me the chords as they're coming up, and I'll be able to follow them, but it's no guarantee I'll be able to nail them perfectly. Did he even like throw your numbers or anything like that? Um. No, he would turn around and look at me and he would be pissed. But uh, eventually he started telling me what the changes were. I'm like, dude, you have to tell me what the changes are. Because like sometimes with guitar players, they have like a, a chord where they're playing a G in the bass. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or something weird like that. And it's like, I need to know that shit as a bass player. There's 
because there's just nowhere to go from there. But yeah, they they some guys, some of the old guys can be too cool for school. There's some of the old guys that are really fucking cool. Like Terry Goose Downing, he plays in Three Bean Soup. I don't know if you know him. No. He's really cool. Don Kendrick, he plays uh drums in that band. And they're they're the house band that night. And they're cool as shit, man. There have been times where I've died on stage at their jam. And they've always they've never given me shit. I mean, that's how you learn too. Yeah. It's like you learn through struggling. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I remember another time. This was like not long after I first got to Nashville. There there was these two guys that I played with who like the other version of the blues jam is like the old guys who are retired who moved to Nashville so they could play. They had like a career maybe as like a banker or a doctor or whatever. And then they moved here. It's cheaper. They moved down from up north, whatever. Um, but it's like they might know a song and they'll call a song. Like I had this one guy, he called this uh, this song called Guilty. And it's originally, well, I think Bonnie Ray did a cover of it. But it might have been like a James Taylor song or maybe a Randy Newman song or something like that. And dude, it's long, it's slow, and there's like nine changes in that song. Oh, I mean, if Bonnie Raitt covered it, then yeah. that's got to have loads of changes. Yeah, and I'm like, we we were on stage. There was no way. They're like, yeah, we're going to do Guilty by Bonnie Raitt. And I'm like, I don't know this song. What are the changes? But in the defense of these guys, they were really cool. The dude like profusely apologized to me after. He's like, I should have never called that song. Because it's just like, they'll call some some random song sometimes. And it's like, you just don't fucking know it. Like, it's such a, a, a oddball thing that I never heard oh, yeah. before. It's like, if I get, every now and then I get calls to play, like, Layla's or Roberts. Yeah. From somebody who doesn't know me, they just know that I'm a bass player around town. And I immediately say, like, you know, I'd love to. I don't know that repertoire. Yeah. I do not know that deep cut, like, 1920s to 1950s country yeah that is not my wheelhouse yeah and i would not be so disrespectful to take that gig and just butcher it well it's like at a certain point there's only so many hours in the day and you have to pick a direction right i mean it's like if i was getting those calls all the time i would invest the time to start learning that stuff Mm -hmm. but i mean especially downtown 90 percent of my gigs are all classic rock like 70s 90s country mm-hmm. and then a lot more like modern stuff mm-hmm. and so like I'm, I'm still always learning learning songs but it's just like man i really don't it, it wouldn't make any sense for me to, to invest that much time for something that i might do like once a month unless i was really passionate about sure it. absolutely no that's completely understandable what is your uh what is your process for learning a song I spend a lot of time just listening to it first. Um, try and internalize it as much as I can. Um, and then luckily, over the last several years, just like playing downtown, your ear develops so well. So I'll just chart things out in my head. Like I can, li- I don't have perfect pitch. I've got really good relative pitch though. So I, I can just listen to a song and chart it on paper as I'm listening to it. So mm-hmm. I, w- I don't know what the root note is. Then I could say, okay, here's the one on this bar. It's going to a four, the six, blah, 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 blah. And I'll do that all on paper. And to me, the, the process of writing that down as I'm listening to it 
helps me retain it. Mm-hmm. And so that's a big part of me learning songs. Yeah, I, I feel like anytime I get uh, a gig, I always get so fucking stressed out beforehand. Even if I like know the songs that I've heard a thousand times, but actually sitting down to learn them, it's like I had take I had taken this gig a couple of weeks ago, and Danny was actually there. He did video for it. We we talked about it recently, but dude, it, it, it was one of the gigs where I hit you up and I was like, "Yo, do you want this gig?" Because this particular week, I was booked to the gills with so much stuff Mm -hmm. and I it was overkill that I I booked this gig because I had to learn like 25 or 30 songs for it I just on a normal week wouldn't have been a big deal I did not have the time to do it it ended up working out I just woke up early did it on my lunch break whatever I had to do um but it was stressing me the fuck out but it's like basically what my process is I uh I pull out the you know the staff paper and I just try and make a make a chart for it real quick. Mm-hmm. Try and get the form down first and see what the changes are, and then from there I can fiddle with what I'm actually gonna pl- play. Because it's like the first things first, I have to make sure I hit the roots, um, and then I can do you know three or five or whatever to dice it up a little bit. But the, it's like you have to determine which are the songs where it's like I need to play this exact baseline and which are the songs. It's like one of the songs on the list was like Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen. Mm -hmm. There's that very specific bridge part with the hits where it's like bump, 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 bump. You have to nail that. There's no way of of really faking that. If you're doing, I don't know, what were some of the other songs? There's like... uh, Uh, There were some 90s ones like... uh... There was that song Laid by James. Do you know that song? No. This bed is on fire oh, yeah, with yeah. passionate love. It was at the end of uh, of one of the American Pie movies. Yeah. But that song, it's like one, four, five pretty much the whole time. You just have to listen for the change because it builds up. I was like, that that's one I can I can do pretty quick, like on the fly. So it's for me, it's determining like what's gonna take me the most time to learn and what are the specific parts I need to learn. And what are the songs that it's like uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's? You know what I mean? Where it's yeah. super easy. It's just, you got to just know the changes for something like that. And you, If you've heard it, then you can just kind of be like, okay, this is what the part is. But yeah, um, learning songs, I think, uh, is always something that's super stressful to me. Uh, more so on a cover gig than an artist gig, for whatever reason. I feel like with an artist gig... Every artist is kind of different as far as what they're looking for. Like, I've had artists where um, the guy's like, you have to hit on the ninth fret on the uh, on the E string versus the fourth fret on the A string. Yeah. He's like, it sounds better. Um, I've known guys like that, too. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, I get that in a recording instance. That can make, make a difference if you're recording, but typically for live, it's not that big big of a deal. I don't think. For some things, there is. But um, what is your process for learning songs for an artist gig? How do you determine, like, beforehand how you're going to focus your time and where you're going to spend it at? So, like, on a cover gig, I'm not as particular. Um, I mean, especially downtown. Like, it's just Broadway. Who cares? Yeah. Um, obviously, I want to... Do a good job. Do a good job. Totally. I'm not going to necessarily get all the nuances of those parts now again it depends on the song like if i'm playing like some kansas tunes that are super involved Mm -hmm. you have to play them note for note otherwise it doesn't sound right yeah 
but a lot of like modern country stuff where it's like just super simple changes. Don't Situ- don't. Yeah, situations don't, like that. Yeah. It's just like you play the changes, put your own feel to it, whatever. Yeah. On an artist gig, I want to nail everything as close as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm hired by somebody, I want to do the song justice the way that it was recorded. If I'm working with somebody like Brooke, who I've been now her like permanent bass player, so a lot of times like she'll write songs and then once we get in the room with the band and we're rehearsing and everything like that, I might throw out suggestions like, okay, let's go. Um, like for instance, there's one song that we've been doing lately. Uh, the second verse, there's two bars of four. So I was like, hey, let's do major four, that first bar. Second bar, guitar does a minor four and then I go to a flat six. Mm-hmm. Just because I, it's to me, it's just more creative. And I, I really like to throw stuff like that in modern songs because most modern stuff is just boring to me yeah there's no harmonic complexity to it at all so when i get the opportunity to add stuff like that i think that's something that a lot of modern music is lacking these days i agree with that yeah it's like you might get the occasional key change but that's as fancy as it really gets um and then if you go back and listen to a lot of songs like the beatles or even some of the older motown stuff You know, they might go the last time through on the third verse. Like, Eagles, the Eagles are famous for stuff like this, too. Um, They might go, I don't know, to like the two instead of the the four or whatever. Take it easy. Yeah, exactly. There's only one time in that song it hits a A minor, and it's right after the solo in that verse. Yeah. Never happens again the rest of the song. So, okay, let me ask you this. Playing down on Broadway... How many of the bands skip that, and how many of the bands do it that you play with? If I'm playing, that's if that song gets called, you bet your ass I get on the talkback mic. I'm like, we're playing the A minor after the solo. Yeah. Or I'll ask. Yeah. Because there's this running joke, there's the right way, the wrong way, and the Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many songs that people play wrong. Yeah. And like, to me, what's more important than playing the song right is making sure everybody's on the same page. I have beef with uh, with Ascend Amphitheater though. It's a great venue, but dude, I uh, I have called over there, I three three times a week for a month trying to get on the media list. I'm an independent journalist right. after all, um, and I finally got a hold of someone. It's uh, Kate at Ascend Amphitheater, and she kept just pushing me off, pushing me off. Saying, oh, my boss, Scott, we'll, we'll talk to you, whatever. Never heard anything. So I went down there. I paid for parking and went down there to try and talk to someone. I knock on the door, that gl- the glass door that's kind of behind, like on the backside, right. behind the stage. Um, it's still, it has street access, wasn't blocked off because it wasn't a show day. So I went back there and um, this girl answered the door. Her name was Ashlyn. She brushed me off right away, acted like I was a fucking burden for even being there. And um, allegedly, I heard Kate was at um, at January 6th, dude. She fucking was one of the rioters, bro. Allegedly. I don't, I don't know that for a fact. I've had a couple people tell me that. Really? Yeah, but uh, they Ascend Amphitheater is employing people that took part in January 6th. 
I guess allegedly her boss Scott was the person who stole AOC's shoes. <laughs> um, you know, do with that what you will. But yeah, send. Um, they were super rude to me. I called over there too, like day before the show, because Arctic Monkeys they they played two nights. Right. So I was like, let me at least call. And when I called, she's like, it's a show day, and I just wanted to be like. Excuse me, actually, I've been calling three times a week for a fucking month trying to get on this. And you guys, they won't even tell me to fuck off, dude. That's what bothered me. That a January 6th, an alleged January 6th rider, um, the worst event, event since 9-11. It's probably worse than 9-11 and worse than Pearl Harbor and worse than both of those two events combined. And allegedly... Kate from Ascend Amphitheater was there with Scott from Ascend Amphitheater and also Ashlyn from Ascend Amphitheater. She was there too? Yeah, yeah. They were allegedly, dude. I don't know this for a fact, but allegedly they were all there and they're basically, they wouldn't even tell me to fuck off, dude. So, um, well, yeah. I mean, if they're storming the Capitol. Yeah, they were storming the Capitol, bro. Allegedly storming the Capitol. Also, I think Ascend is a... It's owned. Is it owned by the city of Nashville, Danny? Uh, yeah, I believe it is. Uh, like the Nashville Nashville municipal government. Yeah, so the Nashville municipal government allegedly has employed people that took place in January sixth. So who all has played there? Uh, I actually just learned just now that Eric Church opened up the um, like I guess like they were. He was the first. I think to pay this there? shit opened just right before we moved to Nashville. Yeah, 2015. Well, I was already here, but it says two sold out shows on July 30th and 31st, 2015. That was just like two weeks before I moved to Nashville. Wow. Um, it doesn't say a lot about who owns it, but it does say that Live Nation is the operator of the open air venue. Um,. And they're signed with a 10-year contract with Ascend Federal Credit Union. Ascend Federal Credit Union should be embarrassed, dude. But I think because I think the whole thing, which it says up here, because it's on the Cumberland River and it's like in Metro Riverfront Park. Yeah. I think technically it's owned by the city, or at least the property is. It, it's a weird thing. I know that for for sure. Yeah, it it is an awesome venue. And then there's the fucking First Bank Amphitheater out in Franklin where Kier and Aubrey are at tonight seeing uh, LDR, Lana Del Rey. They're very excited. Dude, you see those pics of Lana working at the fucking Waffle House? I did. I did. Yeah, pull pull that up, Danny. Maybe it was something to – what was the reasoning for this to you, do you think? I I do not know. Um, maybe she was God just damn. like she she is a beautiful woman, dude. She is just maybe she was just like fuck it. I want to like be humbled. I don't know. Well, people were making a big deal out of her touring the South um, in the Bible Belt because she uh, she doesn't really do it that often. I guess. What up, Lana? Um, the end of the day, though, dude. The Bible Belt. Money. Yeah, well, that's of course where it does. Pe- yeah, yeah, that's where people are going to go. Yeah, well, especially now, there's a lot of people who fucking have moved here because of 
COVID, you know, right. a lot of people wanted to live cheap, like more cheaply here than they could in LA or New York. Um, dude, the rumor is that Lana is a secret fucking Republican. Have you heard about that? No. <laughs> yeah, dude. For real. Really? Yeah. Yeah. T- uh, yeah. There we go. That's that's what I was telling you about earlier. We won't show that on on cam, but use your imagination. Um, Danny, search uh, Lana Del Rey, secret Republican. There's a bunch of people that accused her of being um, being a Republican, dude. Really? Yeah. I, I think if Lana Del Rey moved to Middle Tennessee, she wouldn't live in East Nashville. She would live in Franklin. <laughs> uh, there's definitely a Reddit feed here that says, why are people – Here, so let's click it. Lana let's do it. Let's, let's do the deep dive. All right. Sorry, this, Sorry, post, this post was, was deleted. Oh, wait. Uh, people think, and she didn't even vote for Trump. She hated him and even did a hex on him. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Well, because I think part of her style is like wearing the American flag for clothing. Yeah. And maybe that's why people may think, because mostly like Republican, like conservative, like party people will wear like the American flag when they're doing, you know what I mean? Drinking with their friends. Or- yeah. Hold on. Let's let's see what's up. So it said something about her, like someone claimed she voted for Trump and then she... Lana Del Rey snapped back hard on a Twitter user who tried to vote Shamer on Tuesday. I know Elizabeth voted for Trump. Well, that's that's Lana's name is Elizabeth. I wish I could look up her voting record. Something doesn't sit right with me. Uh, LDR had a very simple response: "Go fuck yourself." Well, she's not denying it, dude. Yeah. I didn't hear no. I didn't. I didn't vote Republican. Uh, yeah, the apparent, I have her tattooed on my arm, which inspired another, Jesus, with the freaking pop-ups, dude. Yeah, the pop-ups are killing us, dude. Yeah, there's, there are rumors, though, that she, um, there we go, is Lana Del Rey a secret Republican? It's on base, or ATRL. Yeah, this is, this has got to be real, dude. This looks like a legitimate (laughs) site. Yeah, 100%. This looks like it's a message board. This post has been reported two times. Oh, damn. Wow. They're on it. <laughs> it was Aubrey and Kira to set the record straight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it looks like she was talking about January 6th stuff. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, let's see what she said about that. Juana Del Rey still thinks Trump didn't mean to incite the capital siege. Pop oh, shit. Is having a busy week defending herself online. Drawing attention on Instagram. So she went on BBC Radio. She didn't think Trump knew what he was doing when he gave his address, urging his followers to fight much harder to defend the stolen election to show strength. So basically, she was at January 6th. Yeah. <laughs> You've heard it here. She must, first, she must so. fucking know Kate from Ascenda Amphitheater, dude, <laughs> allegedly. They were all there together, I think. Yeah, they were there. <laughs> Except I'm, I'm not mad at Juan. Oh, Lana here's a quote. Here's a quote. Yeah. You know, he doesn't know that he's inciting a riot, and I believe that. And she thinks Trump has delusions of grandeur. Well, yeah, you know, I, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Oh, wait, and then... Del Rey also said that she thought the riot needed to happen. 
the madness of Trump, as bad as it was, really needed to happen. We really needed a reflection of our world's greatest problems, which is not climate change, but sociopathy and narcissism, especially in, a, in America. It's going to kill the world. It's not capitalism. It's narcissism. Hmm. Damn. What do you think? Is Lana Del Rey a secret Republican? I don't know, dude. It's uh... – <sighs> Like, who's quoting her of this? Like, I understand this This article. is Yahoo, Entert- or The Rap. The liberal media, Yahoo Entertainment. It makes you wonder, dude. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But what about you? What was your craziest Uber and Lyft oh, ride? Oh, gosh, nothing really <laughs> as crazy as you. I feel like, honestly, most of them were pretty fun you know there's so many cool tourists that come to nashville yeah so many people who just want tips on like which restaurants to go to and which bars yeah shopping and everything else and i feel like the most fun times i had were just you know taking people through the taco bell drive through at 2 or 3 a.m and then of course they would find out i was a musician and they would say sing for us (laughs) you know and so that was always so fun i'd play them my music on spotify or i just sing to them i let them you know basically like carpool karaoke and um yeah it was actually a great time i made so many fucking people follow me on instagram before they got out of my car i use it as grassroots marketing for the for the podcast yeah and if you are listening today and you are one of the (laughs) uber slash lyft riders thank you yes i feel so appreciative of my time as right as a rideshare driver yeah it was truly fantastic yeah like to kind of what you were saying just meeting so many different people. All the tourists are so excited to be in Nashville. So They've heard about it. I took it very seriously because it's like most of the time, like if you're picking someone up from the airport, mm-hmm. where we are one of the first interactions that they're going to have with someone from the city. Absolutely. So it was like, I always try to be positive. I mean, some people are just dicks, but there's nothing you can do about that. <laughs> it's like, I, I got really good at reading a room yeah. from being an Uber driver. Like, yes, yes. you know, instantly what kind of day someone is having yeah as soon as they get into the car and they shut that door behind them. did you try to guess what kind of music they would like you know what i honestly didn't give a fuck i just what? i played the music that i wanted to what? play or i would listen to podcast so i did not give a shit but i was a five-star driver wow yeah five stars 100%? yeah i'm a five-star man just like dennis reynolds five stars nothing knocked off I don't think so. No, I'm lower than you. I was like 4.8. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was five on both, but yeah, it was, (laughs) I should have been playing podcasts apparently. Yeah. I, I just, I never cared. Like I I would obviously like, I would make sure nothing was like inappropriate uh, or anything like that. But it's like, I'm working right now. I'm going to show you anywhere you want to, I'm going to take you anywhere you want to go in the city. I'm going to tell you all the best spots. Yes. But most people, I would say that the one thing, the only time that I really felt violated was one time a guy took off his shoes and he stretched out in the back seat and took a nap. Okay. Take, taking a back seat or taking a nap in the back seat didn't bother me. It was the mm-hmm. fact that he took off his shoes that bothered me. Okay. I feel like that's a, a barrier that I don't want to cross with a stranger. I feel the same way on an airplane, too. I don't like it when people take off their shoes on an airplane. I mean, I had a guy actually try to kiss me oh, who was God. a passenger. So Jesus. I would say Did you punch him in the throat? 
Um, I didn't. I he was just really, really drunk, like blackout drunk, and his friends put him in the front seat, you know. And it was kind of it was New Year's, and I was really tired. I'd been driving for ten hours. Oh yeah, I did those shifts. Right, so it's kind of at the point where you know. Uh, very sober and not tired, exhausted. Just you know, you're like emotionally you're, you're, tired. Your neck from, and shoulders exactly, hurt. It's more your of a physical yeah. exhaustion, and so you're just not totally in your right mind to be dealing with situations yeah. like that. And you're kind of just like, no, this isn't happening. And you know, yeah. So um, I luckily just got him to his house, his destination, and you know, I just I had to actually push him out of the car. Did you <laughs> report his ass? I didn't. I know. My friend asked me after. He was like, why didn't you report him? And I was like, because all I wanted to do was stop driving and go home. Yeah. So I just like turned off the app and I just wanted to go home and go to sleep and yeah. forget about it. You know? Yeah. I'm so. s- I'm sorry that happened. That is oh, an okay. uncomfortable situation. No one no one ever tried to kiss me. Yeah. Well, it's funny because um, I'm tall, right? I'm 5'10". So normally I'm like, oh, it's okay. And like I have pepper spray and whatever. But Sky was like 6'5". And like yeah. he was like a linebacker. And I was like, oh, man, it was like a physical fight. Well, it's a. Uh, I feel like too. It's a different story trying to do Uber and Lyft when you're a woman. It's yeah. just a different set of circumstances. Yes, it is. Oh yeah, guys, all the time <laughs> bachelor parties. I would drive them to the strip club, and they would say, "Oh, come inside." And I was like, "Oh, thank you so much for the offer, but I'm I'm actually still working right now. <laughs> I understand you're just trying to be friendly with this, you know, strip club invitation. A, I wouldn't have gone anyway, and B, <laughs> I am working. Yeah, you know, so you get. But it's like you're saying. And they're just in Nashville to have a good time and they don't totally understand the rules. And hey, maybe sometime, you know, maybe a fun Uber driver would do it. So, you know. Yeah, I, I think people come to Nashville a lot with uh, a Vegas mentality. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. What happens in Nashville stays in Nashville. Yes. yes. When we recently, um, a couple weeks ago, we had on uh, Caroline West. She does this podcast called Broadway Girls. Mm-hmm. But she does uh, on the spot like street interviews. That's and amazing. One of her videos went viral. Um, maybe you've seen it on TikTok. It's of this couple getting interviewed, and basically they get busted that they're both like married and they're there to cheat. <sighs> um, but that that's kind of like to me like I I wonder how many times I've been in a uh, a situation like that with with Uber and Lyft. I, I probably gave like close to 10,000 rides mm-hmm. where there was just some fuck shit happening and I would have no idea. Yeah. I was definitely used as a drug mule before. Did- <laughs> you know, now that you say that, I don't know if I ever was. I just know one time, like you're saying, Broadway's definitely crazy. Um, this guy got in my car and he was like, hi, I know there's a lot of blood on my shirt, but I promise it's not my blood. <laughs> Oh, God, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And you're like, okay. And it was St. Patrick's Day. And, you know, there was a fight. And he explained it. I mean, according to him, you know, there's just a fight next to him. I'm so guessing was, it wasn't his he fault. He was adjacent. Yeah, he said it wasn't his fault. He was yeah. just, you know. Wh- I mean, to be fair, I definitely, I'm sure you've played shows on Broadway where people just break oh, out yeah. in fights right next to you, next to the stage, whatever. People are drunk. People are rowdy. Yeah. And you're like, hey, guys, we're all just trying to have a good time here. Kumbaya. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh it's definitely an interesting situation because I, I feel like now I, I've been in Nashville for for coming up on a decade. Wow, well, yeah. And um I've done like so many different things in the city now. Mm-hmm. When the internet was born, you had an entire generation of kids that 
would have loved going to live music, but the only places at this point, probably the early 2000s, late 90s, um, were like bars and clubs. Yeah. And kids, teenagers even, couldn't get into a lot of those clubs unless they're sneaking in. And yeah. as time went on, consequences have gotten worse for everything else. So yeah. whatever. It, it, as You can see it wasn't a good idea. But what wound up happening is the, uh, the days of MySpace and like early social media and the internet and like all of that boomed like a whole DIY culture that was able to be coordinated and to like really fall in the mm-hmm. inception. And a group of kids that started putting shows on in Clarksville around that time because they couldn't go to bars because none of them were old enough. They're all like 15, 16, 17. Um, got together one year and said, you know, like we do this all the time. We need to make a venue. And it was called The Coup. And it was open from 2008 to uh, 2014. And uh, I graduated high school in 2009. Yeah. So, man, right at the end of my high school years, like, I've always, I started playing guitar at, like, 14, so I was ready to, like, be in a band, and I was, that's all I ever freaking craved anyway. Yeah. And this place sprouted up in our city that was, like, hosting insane bands, like, crazy metal bands back, like, Dr. Acula played there, um, Tidal Fight played the coup, like, all kinds of crazy bands that would go on to do cool stuff, played our little DIY spot. And it all came from these people that were underage and, like, out of the Christian metalcore scene. Oh, shit. were just shit. like, That's hey, funny. man, we're going to start throwing basement shows and house shows. And Dude, I love a good fucking house show, even today. There's Even today, there's dude. There's nothing, nothing like it. Yeah. It's a different it's a different thing <laughs> well it's it's self-policing too you it, know what i mean exactly you can get away with more and you can get away with less at the same time it's the time. law of karma yeah <laughs> absolutely 100 percent. yeah what is the craziest thing you've seen happen at a house show um the craziest thing i've seen happen i i don't want to say fights because that's like typical yeah you know that, like, that just happens. i don't say it's typical like especially in clarksville we're, we're a pretty peaceful scene r- r- relatively but yeah. um, everybody would rather have, like, hissy drama than, like, actual fighting drama, yeah. <laughs> luckily. But um, honestly, uh, probably uh, – here's here's some guys that you know, some buddies. Here's some little throwbacks with some people in it. Um, a couple years ago, this is, like, 2017 maybe, um, the guys in Hollow Roots. Okay. I don't um, know if I know Hollow Roots. Um, well, the guys in Hollow Roots, they're in, also all in a bunch of different other bands, too. They all, okay. They're all busy dudes. Um, but they were hosting a house show at their spot, like, in the middle of February. And this huge, like, downpour came down. And uh, it happened kind of in the middle of the show. And it was a good turnout for a good Nashville DIY show. It was, like, probably 70, 80 people. It was a good turnout. Yeah. Man, this this rain came down, and we were all just, like, stuck in their yard. It was just, like, a soup of, like, Were, mud. like, people's cars and shit oh, stuck? Everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Like, everywhere. It was... Yeah, naturally. It, it, yeah, that was, that was probably... That was the worst, like, house show experience, probably. See? Yeah, you, it's very stream room, of consciousness. It is. He's yeah. totally tapped into that. Um, yeah. Which is beautiful, and which may be why I love his art so much, because I'm kind of stream of consciousness in a weird way, not... I am when I write, but it's not in a way that doesn't change or evolve. But, like, I'll sit on songs for years, you know, like, until every single word. If it's not exactly how I need it to be, then I won't put it out. I don't care how long it takes, you know. Um, But the recording aspect is very stream of consciousness. I don't really go in there with, other than a basic energy expectation, um... 
usually, yeah, it's, it's, it, mistakes are good. You know what I mean? Yeah. When mistakes happen, that's, those are the best parts. Yeah, um, well, it's, uh. And I expect those too, you know. Like Bob Ross says, you know, they're, they're happy yeah. little accidents. Right. Yeah. Well, the, I think that's what really captures the real, you know, uh, Jimmy Page, he talks about that with Zeppelin. He said there's, he leaves all his mistakes in. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, the raw. Well, it makes it sound human, you know? Mm-hmm. So many people don't do that. And you can tell. Yeah. Yeah, well, <laughs> everything is produced to, to shit now, you know? Um, it's all, and I, I've, I've been super lucky. I've gotten to record. I just love how basic that's become. Like, it's like everyday talk for everyone. Well, what's that? That everything is produced to shit. Now. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, everything is over, says that. Overproduced. That's how fucking crazy things are right now. Yeah. And in any entertainment industry, I feel like, yeah. you know, um, which is in a way beautiful for us because, you know, us as in like. I don't mean that in a condescending way. I just, it's beautiful to have that to work against. Mm -hmm. To try not to be. Yeah. You know. Here's what I'll say my biggest beef with, with Trump is. I hate Fox too, by the way. I hate Fox News. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> but my, my biggest beef with Donald Trump was he had the opportunity to pardon Assange. Assange and yeah, Snowden, and he didn't rough. fucking do it. He was afraid of the backlash. He he would yeah. He was afraid. He of the honestly should have dropped his dick on the table and just did it, dude. It was a fucking yeah. I think it's completely fucked up. Um, I mean, he did pardon Little Wayne. Young money, dude. That's wild. Why did he, what was Little Wayne for having a gun at the airport or some shit? I think it was something like that. Yeah. Can you believe that happened? <laughs> <laughs> Sir, did you pack your own bags? <laughs> God damn it, dude! Dude, I was, I went to a Titans game. On, <laughs> I went to a Titans game on Friday, and they have <laughs> they have canines all over that shit. There's canines everywhere. I almost I almost bought a little uh, a little vape, and I'm glad I didn't because there was I got nicotine, was, of course, of course nicotine. But there was a, a an adorable black lab really eyeing me up and down. <laughs> I was like, fuck! I'm glad I don't have any. Glad I don't have any. Uh, accoutrement on me right now because I'd be getting pulled over. I kind of got lippy. I was, I was, it was hot as fuck. And me and this girl I was with walked through the metal detector, like kind of close together. And the girl was like, Nope, you guys are too close together. You got to go around and do it again. And I go, Oh, you hear that? We are too close together. Better go around and do it again. I was real passive aggressive with her. And I looked up and there's a cop just staring at me. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> maybe, maybe I shouldn't have chosen that moment to be passive aggressive with this lady. But she was, she was like textbook, like an annoying security guard at, yeah. at a stadium. We'll just say that. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. I looked at her. I was like, oh, bitch, uh, you are the worst person. And I was like, oh, okay. And I did it again. She got me. Sir, where's your mask? She got me, dude. <laughs> dude, I remember when I worked at Whole Foods, there was a guy that walked in uh, without a mask, and uh, you can imagine the people that uh, oh, dude, that they work were stroking the out. Oh, they, this girl comes up to me and she goes, "Man, I really hope that guy doesn't ask me for help. I do not want to help that guy because he didn't have a mask on." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, <laughs> wow, good for you." Did you walk up to him and instantly offer him help? Oh, I sucked his cock, dude. <laughs> Immediately was like, "Oh." Slow neck? He, he was close, a lot of slow neck. He was clearly the most alpha person in the whole building, dude. Right from the start. 
But yeah, she said that. I couldn't believe. Imagine the series of events in your in your brain to be like, that guy better not even approach me for anything, cause that's a such a wild way to digest the world around you. Really weird. But I'll I'll never forget that that girl did. She's pretty hot. She had a mask on. Everyone everyone in that Whole Foods is pretty hot actually. The one in Green Hills. The one in Green Hills. The last two weeks that I worked there, I would clock in. So Amazon owns Whole Foods. So I worked for Amazon, but I was just like grocery shopper when I first moved to Nashville for Whole Foods. And uh, it was the sickest job ever, honestly. I was the only... <laughs> I was the only person... Uh, I was the only male who did it. Everyone else was female and or obese. And... Uh, it made sense that they were a professional grocery shopper. We'll say that.